I've been quite vocal about when a few of us began doing Exodus 90 uh, just about a month ago where we were, you know, you give up a lot of natural pleasures in this world, drinking and sweets and hot showers, that whole kind of thing. So I thought I'd also be vocal about when I fail on it too. And this last Friday, for the first time, I thought I'd go 90 days without having a drink and I only made it one month. But it was very intentional. Like I decided to do about two seconds before I took the drink. So, you know, no. I called my friend who I was doing it with and we both decided we're going to do this one time with both of our family members. Um, but what really hit me, though, was that it meant so little to me. And I thought like stepping away from like the natural pleasures of alcohol would be one of the hardest things. And it ended up being like a light that just switched off. So like I really I was happy to realize I could walk away. I could just take alcohol or leave it when I want. I just choose to take it every day, you know, but it's a free choice on my part. That was a joke. It's not that often. Um, but what I did realize in the midst of this desert time was that there was much deeper, deep-seated addictions that my heart was clinging to that I didn't realize before. Because it's so easy to look at like big things like alcohol or drugs or pornography and say like, those are the bad addictions. But the truth is every single one of us has addictive behaviors. And they're oftentimes not those huge red flags that we look at. They're much more subtle in our life. And I really thought this hit home with the two reading, with the readings about the two ways. One in which we put our trust, the first reading says, in human flesh, in the things of this world, and it leads to a desert wasteland of a life. And the other being when we put our trust in the Lord, and it feels like a desert. And yet it's in that desert that we become like trees planted near running waters. Our leaves stay green. We continue to bear fruit even in the midst of the drought. And all I could think about was addictions. Because that's the addiction cycle, right? So there's like that emotional trigger that will hit you. Whether you're lonely, you're depressed, you're anxious. And then that produces a craving. And in that craving, say alcohol, then I have a ritual. So I'm depressed, I start to crave alcohol, so then I'll call certain people, I'll go to a certain place, I'll eat a certain food, and then I use, so then I'll drink the alcohol. And then what happens afterwards? The guilt. Then I'm left the next day or hours later feeling terrible about what I've done and where I find myself. And then time passes on and the emotional trigger hits again And I go through that same cycle of desire and use and then guilt. And it just goes over and over again. The things we become addicted to are an image of that cursed way of life. Seeking our refuge, the fulfillment of our desires in the things of this world. Which only end up leaving us empty and guilty in the end. Then we just fall into it again and again and again. You know, I've... I saw this scene from a a show back on MTV back when I was in like junior high school. And I I just, it still stayed with me ever since. And they were filming different people who had addictions, whether it was to drugs, alcohol, and I think sex. And um, there's this one image that has just always stayed with me. They're watching, they're following this one woman who's just caught up in a sexual destructive lifestyle of sleeping with different men on a regular basis. And at one point she goes into a party and she's really attracted to this one man and they just start talking. And at one point 
she walks into a bathroom with him and the camera stays on the outside. And she says, you just see the caption at the bottom, I'm going to lay on the ground and you can do whatever you want to me. Camera fades down to black. The next morning, she's driving home by herself, but they have a camera in her car and she's just weeping. And it's not like desperation tears. It's like those tears that are so deep from within her. And she's just saying, I can't understand why I keep doing this. I hate that I keep going back here. And I don't know how to get out of it. And she's just weeping and weeping. And it's been 30, well, probably 20 years since I saw that. And I still remember the image of her so strong. You know, it's the same thing. So it's like she hated it, but she kept going back to it, getting used again and again and again. It's like you get a trigger, you're lonely. You get a craving for intimacy. So the ritual, I go to a party. The use, I find someone to have sex with. And then the guilt, the self-hatred that comes after it. It's the same thing with pornography, right? The reason everybody knows, whether regardless if you have religion or not, that pornography is so bad for you, nobody ever does it and then stands up with their chest out afterwards. Like, yeah, I feel good about this. I just crushed that. No. In fact, Probably have a deeper craving for soy food after that. Let's, let's get some Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> we no one feels good about that. So we know what the addictions are. We know what actually builds us up in the end and what leads us broken down. But alcohol, drugs, porn, gambling, that's easy. That's easy to talk about. But what I've come to see is that there's much more deeper emotional and behavioral addictions that we're not even aware of in our life. And what the real question we have to ask ourselves in order to recognize it and then change the way we're living is, where do I go to fill my emptiness? What are the things I turn to when I'm suffering, when I'm really feeling alone or anxious and confused that I go to to try to fill that up? And after it's over, I just feel like I'm in a desert again. I'm going to say something that is going to upset people, but I do that a lot anyway, and so I'm going to say it anyway. Um, This is the closest thing to a trigger warning whenever I'm preaching. It's like, this might make you upset, but it's something that I've been actually thinking about a lot because there's been some words that I've heard thrown around in college, ever since I was in college and in college, and that's sluts and simps. What do sluts and simps both have in common? It's the same behavior. They give what is precious of themselves to another without any regard to their own dignity to somebody who doesn't appreciate the gift that is being offered. So a woman is considered to be acting like a slut if she's giving the most precious thing that she has, which is her body, to many men without valuing her own dignity, and giving that gift to men who do not appreciate what is being offered to them. And we call a simp a man who gives up his time, his money, and his affections to a woman who does not appreciate the offering that he gives her with no regard for his own dignity. And I believe both of those are also behavioral addictions. Because both are going to try to fill up an emptiness that they experience in their own selves, yet in the end, how do they feel? Used and abused and more empty than before. 
know what the most painful experience you can have in relationships that I've come to see? It's like when you offer something to somebody else that meant so much to you, and the person you gave it to doesn't even recognize the value of the gift that was given. That's what the first thing that really hit me when I actually started thinking about what we are and what we believe as Catholics. I can't believe like Jesus Christ gives us his own body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. And yet how many of us Catholics actually appreciate the gift that is given in his own self? They say in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Christ was weeping blood, it wasn't, he wasn't weeping for the death he was going to die. He was weeping that the gift that he was offering of his own body and blood in that sacrifice, he could see all the people of all the generations to come and see how many would never appreciate the gift that God was offering them. So how do we get free of addictive behavior? Once you come to recognize these are the types of things I'm doing to try to fill my emptiness, to kind of have a semblance of stability, but I'm also being devalued in that very process. I think there's only one way, and it's revealed in the Beatitudes. You have to accept the pain that comes with the void. You have to choose to stay in the pain. A woman has to say, I would rather feel alone than feel used. A man would have to say, I would rather feel alone than feel used in this relationship. An alcoholic, a drug addict would have to say, I'd rather feel empty now than regret later. One of my best friends was addicted to pornography for years. And I asked him, he's been free now for for a few years. And I asked him, like, what, what actually got you to get over that? What was, the, what was the one thing you realized, or was it just a slow process? And he said it was a realization that just twisted everything for me and put it back in its place. He said, I, what I realized is I have to choose pain. My choice is between pain. The pain of the desire of being fulfilled, staying in that unfulfilled desire, or the pain of the regret that comes after I use the pornography. But either way, he had to choose a pain. And the difference, though, is that there's a pain that breaks you down in life. And there's a pain that sharpens you up. There's a pain like surgery where you go through it and then little by little you keep getting better. But there's also the pain of walking on a broken leg, just never wanting to fix it. But it's not getting any better. Sometimes the only choices we have is between two types of pain. One will make us great. The other will break us down. You know, there's a story that was passed down by the desert fathers. You know, these, these fathers that went into the desert to live out their entire lives for interceding for the church back in like the fourth century. And there's a story of this young novice who'd only been in there for about 10 months. And he was so depressed and lonely and longing to be back in the world. He didn't know what he, how he could get out of these temptations. So he went to an elder you know, a monk who'd been there much longer. He went to this monk who'd been there for 60 years now, living in the desert. And he said, Father, Father, help me, please. I can't get rid of these temptations. I have no peace in this desert. 
and my flesh only longs to go back to the world. And the elder looked at him and smiled and said, I've been in here for 60 years in this desert, and my flesh still longs to go back to the world. The boy looked at him and said, so what do we do? He goes, we resolve never to go back to Egypt. We resolve never to go back to Egypt. Egypt meaning the place of sensual pleasures, the place of slavery. Slavery is the things that you can't say no to. And a lot of times in life, in order to break free of addictions and abusive relationships and abusive cycles, the best that we can do is resolve not to go back to Egypt. I'd prefer to stay in this desert, to suffer now, than become the man that I was before in Egypt. Abraham Lincoln once said, discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. And that's why the story of your life has to be greater than where you are right now. No matter what you're fighting with, no matter what addictions you might have, no matter how broken things might seem, the only way that we can actually break through the addiction cycle is your story has to be greater. The journey that you're on and the destination of where you want to be in life has to be bigger than your pain in the present moment. And that demands sacrifice. That demands being willing to stay in the pain of the emptiness in the present moment in hope of the future of what can be in my life. And addictions, they're like mirages in the desert. Right? They, they look like a source of water. And we run after it with all of our might. Then we get there and all we find is sand. And what I've always found is whenever I have to follow Jesus Christ and I know he's calling me to follow a certain path, it always feels like a desert. It always feels like a denial, like I'm going into death. Yet it's in that very desert where I find the stream of living water and I become like a tree planted with deep roots. My leaves stay green. And that's why Christ emphasizes in the Beatitudes, the poor, the hungry, the weeping, those who are hated, insulted, and excluded. He's telling us as his disciples to not be afraid of the suffering that comes in life. The world can never understand pain, and so it offers us pleasure. Jesus Christ, who understands the pain of life, offers us a purpose a reason to endure the suffering. And that's why only the poor can understand his kingdom. Only those who are willing to hunger and thirst for him and remain in the unfulfilled desire can truly taste him. Only those who are willing to weep in their emptiness now can experience the divine consolation of Jesus Christ. But understand, they will be rejected despised for his sake because the world cannot understand that and that's why the Beatitudes end by emphasizing those who are rejected in this world I was talking to a man who was in AA and I asked him a question about what did the people around you how did they respond 
once you changed your lifestyle. And he reminded me of the crab effect. You guys know the crab effect? It's like when one crab tries to crawl out of a, of a tank, what do the other crabs do? Try to pull them down. And I said, was it really hard to lose your friends when you changed your lifestyle? And he said, no. Because what I really realized is they weren't my friends to be at all. Because they didn't want what was best for my life. More than anything, they were just looking for somebody to join in the darkness. That's why when you convert, when you change your life over to more fully follow the truth, to follow what you know in your heart is your greatest good, to follow Jesus Christ, it begins with a rejection. It begins with isolation. Because then your light shines on the darkness of others. And the darkness hates the light. You want to know who your two true friends in this life are. Do the best possible thing you can for yourself and see which ones encourage you and which ones discourage you. See the ones who really lift you up. See the good that you're doing and say, stay on that path. And you know what? You're inspiring me to do the same thing versus the ones who try to put you down and pull you down and keep you at their level. That will tell you who your true friends in life are. Yet it's in that very being rejected by the crowd, left in the desert of isolation, that's also where Jesus Christ himself speaks to us. I will draw you into the desert and I will speak to your heart. We never go into the desert for the sake of the desert. We never deny ourselves for the sake of a stoic, you know, personal mental perfectionism. We go into the desert. We deny ourselves for one end, and that is for the voice of Jesus Christ. To find the one who calls us into the desert, away from the crowd, to our greatest selves in him. Where do I go to fill my emptiness? And am I willing to stay in the pain to endure the desert heat, to wait for God to come? In one moment, he will come to us all in this desert land through the tree of his most holy cross in the sacrifice on this very altar. And we will receive the fruits that are still green, that are still flowing from that tree in the most holy Eucharist, his body, blood, soul, and divinity in just one moment. And we will have no reason to fear the heat when it comes. Our leaves, too, will stay green. In the year of drought, we will show no distress, but still bear fruit. For God himself will become the answer to our emptiness. And that is truly the way of all the blessed.